We're going to read the Bible together now. If you have a Bible in front of you, we're turning to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And then a few verses on we read um, that... Mary um, burst into song as a, a, I guess, as a response of worship to the words that the angel had brought her. So if we, um, if we turn down to verse 46 and read from there, it says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all, na- all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Thanks, Cathra. G'day, Establish. How are you going? Good. I want to say g'day to you if you're tuning in online as well. Um, Particularly, actually, if you're tuning in online, uh, we want to say that we love you and uh, we want to very much make you uh, feel welcome and that you're part of uh, this community as we worship together. Um, We know that it's hard uh, when you're tuning in on the live stream, you don't get to enjoy the, the relationships and the singing and all of that kind of stuff. We just want to let you know that we love you and we're praying for you. Uh, let's keep on uh, going together. I'm going to pray for us uh, before we um, jump in and think about peace and uh, just pray for myself as well. Um, Father God, I just um, thank you uh, so much that we get to gather together and sing songs of praises Um, about your son. Lord God, we thank you so much uh, that Christmas is a time where we can reflect and think about um, what it was that you did over 2,000 years ago. But Holy Spirit, I ask that today you will help us um, deeply believe who it is that you say you are and what it is that you have said you have done and will continue to do. 
and that that might be something that really impacts the way that we live and the way that we hold out um, this message of peace of the gospel. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll be with me as I seek to um, help us understand this and more importantly, um, to see who you are. Amen. Uh, We all long for peace, don't we? And uh, there's probably nobody else in my life who epitomizes this more than my brother-in-law, Hickey, or his real name's Jonathan. We call him Hickey. Uh, He works hard in one of the best coffee shops in Ireland that he started with my sister, Emma. Um, He loves his family, loves his work, loves his coffee. He's an all-around top bloke, and I I just love him to bits. Um, But Hickey, for me... Um, Every time I see him, he just epitomizes um, the longing that we have for peace, right? So every Friday after he's finished work, he comes home and he loves going out to his glorified man shed, which is better than my living room, and listening to some vinyl and having a handcraft beer. But to bring about that peace, he actually goes through this ritual pretty much every time. He does exactly the same thing. He gets in, he has a shower. I think he takes his clothes off before and does all of that kind of stuff. But he, but he has a shower. He heads out to the man cave. He turns the lights down low. He pours a handcraft IPA. And then he starts scrolling through his vinyl collection until he just picks the right one. Then he goes over and he places it on top of um, his record spinny thing. I don't know what the actual official name for it is. And then he goes through this thing that's probably something like a peace ceremony, right? He, he gets out this little tub, and out from that tub he pulls a brush that's a carbon fiber brush, so that as the record is spinning around, he just gives it a nice, neat little spin, And then just to make sure that there's no particles of dust that will disrupt the peace that comes from those speakers, he gets out a little air blower and he gives it a couple of puffs so that everything is just perfect. Then he sits down, takes a sip of his beer. Peace. We all long for peace, don't we? Now, you might not long for it in the same way or try to, bring about it, try to bring it about in the same way as Hickey. But the reality is, we all long for peace. We all look for it. We, we all have a story about how we might bring it about, at least in theory. Now, for me, it's sometimes, and quite, actually quite a lot of the time, the absence of this. I don't know if you see that there. That was my average uh, sound level for the week in the Murray household. And it just says loud on average for the whole week. And I can tell you that that probably wasn't the loudest week in the Murray household. That's probably just kind of pretty standard um, there. So for me, it's that. For you, it might be something different. But there's something about each of our pursuits, regardless of how it is that we think we might bring it about, that is exactly the same. And that is that they give us a small slice of the peace that we were made for. These moments actually remind us deep down that that we were truly made for peace. But yet at the same time almost, 
They also give us this stark reminder, don't they, that this peace that we have just found even momentarily just falls short. And it will ultimately end. The vinyl will stop. The holiday will finish. That moment of calm that you've managed to get through mindfulness will be invaded. That slice of the peace that we have been made for and the peace that we have been searching for gets shattered by someone or something else, doesn't it? So in the midst of this backdrop of our human experience, when we come to think about peace, I reckon it's very hard for us not to read this like a divine beauty pageant speech, right? Where there is peace and goodwill to all people. And, and just go, man, this has got no substance. My experience says that this cannot be attained. So is this the peace that Jesus brings at Christmas? How does our experience actually help us to engage with what it is that we see in the Bible about Jesus as the Prince of Peace? Does he actually bring the peace that you long for? Well, I reckon for us to kind of engage with this a little bit more, it's actually really important to highlight something in the Bible story or parts of the Bible story that helps to validate your experience, right? That actually helps to affirm your desire for peace and helps us understand why the moments when we find it just doesn't seem to cut it. You see, according to the Bible, right, you were indeed made for peace. That's why you search for it. You were made for peace. But the peace that you were made for is so much more than this subjective feeling of peace that you get when you have your coffee sitting on the rocks down at Salmon Hall. The peace that you were made for, according to the Bible, is one where there is blessing and abundance. One where there is satisfaction and fulfillment. It's not a peace that is just the absence of some bad, but it's a peace that brings about an abundance of good. It brings peace between people that doesn't just have an absence of strife, but that actually is so good that those relationships are life-giving. It's a peace where we have peace with our creation with the world that we live in. And most importantly, the peace that we were made for was a relational peace with the God who made us. And, and the word to capture all of that in the Old Testament is the word shalom. In fact, it probably covers a whole bunch more. Now, it's not used in the start of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. But if you turn there and, and you read it, that is very much the picture that we get. We get this picture of God intimately creating man and woman and placing them in a garden that's not a garden that is miserly, but one that is full of abundance and blessing. We get kind of like this picture. It doesn't say it explicitly, but you see when we get to the next bit and what I'm talking about, where they are in perfect relationship with God. They're walking with him in the garden and they're even going about this thing that we would call work where they're gardening and tending the animals and it's not hard yakker. It's actually something that brings blessing. It's actually something that is part and parcel of the peace that they were made for. 
But most importantly, they have peace with God. Your desire for peace is because you were made for peace. For this kind of peace, for shalom. But then the story goes on. And I think that it actually helps us to understand our fuller experience when we see this peace disrupted, right? Where we see man and woman, Adam and Eve, rebelling against God. They start to believe that he is not the ultimate peace giver. And they rebel against him and kind of try to bring about life themselves. But in doing so, they actually end up breaking peace. Peace gets shattered. Let let me just read some of it for you so that you get an idea of, of what we're meant to feel when we read this. Remember, they are in a place of peace. And then they believe the serpent. They rebel against God. And then this is what starts to happen. Chapter 3, verse 8 of Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Presumably this was something that they did before. But this time there's something different. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I had commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, the woman you gave to me or gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. The breaking of peace. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate And then it goes on, and it goes on, and and, and basically what you see is as they break peace with God, that peace gets shattered everywhere. That as they break peace with the God of peace and the one who made them for this shalom, actually peace gets fractured everywhere in the relationships with each other in how they relate to creation and the world and their work and their bodies. They get sick. They die. This lack of peace, according to Genesis, shatters peace everywhere. And that helps us understand the experience that we have in our search for peace that just doesn't quite seem to cut it. That that's actually the story that we get over and over again in the Bible. We search for peace because you were made for peace. But it doesn't quite fulfill because that peace was shattered. That's why you have moments where when you do find a little slice of peace, it's this strange mix between fulfillment and frustration. That's why when we look at the lack of peace in our world, we can't help but dream of something better. Here's how one of my favorite authors on this idea of shalom or peace puts it. His name is Plantinga. What a a name, Plantinga. And this is what he says. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. 
a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. You see that it's not just talking here about the absence of strife. It's talking about abundance and blessing. But see where this is connected to. It's a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That's why we long for peace. Because deep down, we know that we are made for this shalom. Yet our experience is one where we know that it's not what it ought to be, right? You know that. So how do we get this peace that we long for? How do we actually bring it about in our lives? Well, we could attempt, couldn't we, to live more peaceful lives. There's a lot of stuff at the moment about mindfulness and about how we might live at peace either with one another or just even with ourselves. We could rest more. We could get rid of the, the things in our lives that don't bring us peace or the people who don't bring us peace. And we can add in a whole bunch of things that do. And that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. But it follows, doesn't it? That, that if the reason that we actually lack peace in the first place is because we don't have peace with God, the one who gives us the peace that we long for, then what we need most is peace with Him, isn't it? That if the breaking of peace with God, was, with God was the thing that shattered peace everywhere, it doesn't matter how much we go and pick up the pieces and try to create it here and here and here and here. If that thing is not fixed, then all we get is a dud at best. And thankfully for us, thankfully for us, I reckon that Christmas is a great reminder for us that our Savior that our Lord has actually opened up a way and welcomed us through His Son and invited us to this kind of peace. And when we look at the story of the Bible, we actually see that this was always His plan, right? Like that this was always His plan to bring about restoration and peace for everyone who would believe in Him. And in particular, and we actually see um, later on in Genesis him opening up the doors for the way of peace through a promise to Abraham that essentially God would bless the world through him and bring in peace. Then again, we hear a similar promise, but this time to Moses. And, and that promise of a king or of a God who would come and bring peace, we hear over and over and over again. And here's what it says. It says, welcome. 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 A promise that if people would actually find peace with God and, and walk, with, walk with Him, would bring shalom. And that one day, as they go about that experience in this world, there would be a great Prince of Peace who would come. And that Prince of Peace would bring about shalom in its fullness for all eternity as He brings in His kingdom. He would actually fix and rebuild everything that was broken. He would mend it back together just the way that it was intended. 
But for the Old Testament people of God, as they waited, as they advented, if you like, God had actually put a place or put a, a thing in place that helped them to restore peace with him. He actually approached them and opened the door through these promises and created a way that, that they could actually deal with the thing that broke their relationship with him, sin. And the way that they did that in the Old Testament was through the sacrificial system, right? And you, you had these priests in the temple and they would do a series of sacrifices to God to atone for sin and guilt and shame but then they also had another sacrifice. And, and I want you to hear this, right? And it's a sacrifice where they give thanks. Thanks to God that not only had he opened up the door, but he had actually enabled them through this process to find true peace with him, to find shalom. And that sacrifice was called, does anybody know? The peace offering, or the fellowship offering. And you can have a look in Leviticus 3 and 7, and you will find it there. But the thing is, this process, and we'll come back to it in a moment, this process that God had set up, or door, if you like, that people could come through so that they might find peace, was the only way and the only place where they could find it. They actually couldn't do it just by trying to be good people. In fact, even if they went about this thing that God had set up just by mere externals doing religious -y things, that wouldn't work. Because what it required was this internal, heartfelt recognition that was expressed through the externals of the sacrificial system. Just going through the motions wasn't enough. It had to be something that was internal. But as they did this peace offering, that was the offering of thanksgiving to say that peace was and had and would be found in God. That they would no longer be his enemies. And do you know what the word for that is? That the word for that peace is the word shalem. Now, if you kind of just make it all guttural at the back, it'll make it sound like you know Hebrew. Um, but it's just shalem, which is actually a root word for shalom. Um, but Shalom wraps this idea up into it as well because it's actually much more explicit. Shalom actually speaks about peace between two people. It actually is a peace that is brought about after a recognition that someone has done something to break that peace and that that had been acknowledged and then through a sacrifice, and you can actually see that in Exodus and whatever as well, but through that sacrifice, those two people didn't just come to a truce where they stopped fighting or just rubbed it under the carpet, but they actually were brought into peace with one another. Their relationship was stored, restored. Their relationship was mended. And it's that kind of peace that we need. And that's what happens through the sacrificial system but we can actually receive shalom, which includes this idea of shalem, which brings two parties together. And in this case, it's God and man. By accepting him 
and his invitation. And it's a peace that the people of God and, and we can actually experience even subjectively as we walk with him. Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the person who walks in the way of the Lord. What's the blessing? It's peace. It's actually a slice of peace as we walk with the God of peace. Blessing, abundance, flourishing, life, satisfaction. But for the people of God in the Old Testament, there was still always this sense of the fact that this was incomplete, right? That where they had peace with God objectively, and that was true, that their experience in the world, their subjective feeling of peace was something and there was still a mix of fulfillment and frustration. And it wasn't frustration because the peace of God didn't satisfy in one sense. But, but in another, it was a frustration because the peace that they received subjectively as they walked with the Lord was nearly just like a little appetizer. It was something that got you excited for the main course and the thing that was to come. When I go out to a restaurant, I would eat appetizers all night long because I love them. And every time I eat them, I want more. It's that kind of frustration. It wasn't a frustration that was brought about because God wasn't coming good on his promises either. That he would actually bring peace to Israel like Catherine read from Isaiah. But it was a frustration that came about from them not understanding that actually what God was wanting was to bring peace not just to Israel, but actually to the whole world. That, that he would bring in something far bigger, a shalom through the Prince of Peace that would be never ending, that would be perfect. So you can imagine, can't you, right? Kind of we can transport ourselves back 2,000 years ago that after generations of waiting, after generations of anticipating, after generations of stories and experiences of fulfillment and frustration, after promises being reiterated in Ezekiel, after promises of a baby to be born, when a baby is born that seems to fulfill all of the prophecies that we read about in the, old, the whole Old Testament, you can imagine the excitement, right? that maybe, finally, shalom would be ushered in. That this peace that we've been longing for all along would come. And, and we feel it when we read Luke 1. Have a look with me um, at Luke. Look at Luke. Uh, Luke 1 and 2, right? But verse 31. This is when Gabriel speaks to Mary. Cathra read it out earlier. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That's kind of like a beer cracked open, vinyl on the thing. This peace is about to come. The waiting for the full expression of the peace that we're longing for is going to come because the Prince of Peace is here. 
and he will bring it about. And that's why Mary sings the song that she sings. That's why she sings in verse 54 um, about how God had helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This excitement is why the angel proclaims good news to the shepherds in Luke 2 verse 10. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim you the good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And that Messiah would actually bring about peace. He would actually bring about the shalom that we've been waiting for. Now this is remarkable, right? I want you just to kind of um, recall what it is that we've just been talking about. Because you see, remember, that back in the garden when there was peace, who was it that broke peace with God? Or who was it that broke peace between God and man? Was it God? No, it wasn't. It was actually man. It was, it was actually our rebellion and sin that broke peace with God. And that broke peace everywhere. And the thing about this story that I find so remarkable is that rather than God waiting for us to come groveling, making us do penance or withdrawing from us and just kind of going, you're on your own. Repeatedly, he approached his people. Repeatedly, he opened a door. Repeatedly, he said, welcome, come and find peace in me. But the thing was that he did most, that is, I find most staggering, is that he brought the Prince of Peace into this world that he actually stepped off his throne and into a manger, coming as a baby so that he might bring peace. <coughs> far from actually leaving us on our own, far from making us come groveling to him, which is kind of probably what we deserved, right? He comes to us. He offers us peace. In fact, it's even better than that. Excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> I'm not having a lot of peace. A fly just flew into my throat. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> okay, if my voice gets really squeaky in a second, that's why. It's kind of just hit my vocal cords. Apologies. It's not going to be very peaceful from this point on. I'm sorry if that grosses you out, uh, but let me just go back, right, <laughs> so that we can regather ourselves. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I, I find that just so remarkable, right? But I want you to kind of get this, because there's something even greater than that, and it's that this Prince of Peace, right, this Prince of Peace, for him to bring about, <clears throat> for him to bring about the peace that we talk about in the Bible, there actually has to be a peace offering that needs to happen. There actually has to be a price that is paid. A series of sacrifices that are made, one of which is the peace offering. And all of them gets wrapped up in this person, Jesus. 
the Prince of Peace actually comes and he makes a peace offering on your behalf and actually becomes the peace offering for you. And in doing so, he flings the doors wide open. Welcome. Come and find peace through me. Come and find shalom. Like, think about that for a second. That is phenomenal. Like, like not only is the incarnation that God became man, that, that he approached us so that we can find peace with him, not only is that phenomenal, but to think that he actually became the peace offering for us so that we could find peace with God. That is, that is good news. That is good news. He didn't come as a king of war, but as a prince of peace. He didn't come to smite people. He came to save. He didn't come um, as a mighty kind of king coming in just to close the world off. He actually came as the Prince of Peace to fling the doors open for all who would come and put their trust in him. He came to bring peace. You see, if you're wrestling with the idea um, or that you're just struggling to find peace at the moment, pretty much we all understand what that feels like. But, but I, I can tell you that, that if this story of the Bible is true, which I believe and we believe that it is, that all of your searching, all of your trying to put together peace back into your life, that all of that will be futile until you find your peace with God. That actually peace with God is the most important thing. And the good news is this Christmas is, is that you can actually accept this gift of peace by accepting the Prince of Peace. Jesus by putting your trust in Him, but by actually turning to Him and, and trusting that He is the one who will bring the peace that we long for. If you're wrestling maybe with the idea that God is just up there waiting to smite you, then I reckon that Christmas, the story of peace, the story of Jesus should help you see that actually it's a story about Him coming down to save you. If you have and you follow Jesus, right, as your Lord and your Savior, then I reckon that as we approach Christmas, and we need to remember, that's kind of like what Advent is all about in a sense, remembering and anticipating, but we need to remember that you actually have peace with God. If you put your trust in Jesus, you have peace with God. He is not at enmity with you. He is not waiting, trying to trip you up. He is not trying to get you to jump through 10 more hoops so that you might meet the mark to find peace with him. He is not going to pull the plug in the end because the Prince of Peace has come and he has made the offering of peace so that you could be invited into that peace. And if you have put your trust in him, you have it. 
without a doubt. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. That's remarkable. It's not a small thing. That's something we need to keep on remembering at Christmas. That's something that we need to keep on remembering every day, that we have peace with God through Jesus. But there is a wrestle, isn't there, in this? And and an objection. I ask questions about everything. And when I've got an objection about this, right? My objection is this. Where I believe that, that, that we have peace with God, objectively, if we put our trust in Jesus, What's gone on with all of the other stuff that Jesus was meant to bring about, right? The shalom bit, the, the peace for everywhere. You know, why do we continue to have this experience that we do of fulfillment and frustration? Why do we have moments where when we follow God closely, that the Holy Spirit gives us a peace that passes all understanding, but then there's something in our context that invades that? Why do we have moments where we just ache for the world and the brokenness that's here? You know, I think that question actually makes us probably doubt that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It makes us really question deeply, doesn't it? And I think that's why for Christians, we can sometimes end up going and searching for peace in all of the wrong places because we're still wrestling with this fulfillment and frustration, we sometimes go, man, I need to find it somewhere else. And I think this idea of Advent actually helps us in these moments, right? Because you see, where the Old Testament people of God anticipated that Jesus would bring about this kingdom entirely and fully, what we see in Jesus is that God's plan was slightly different. Not that he had tricked them. Not that he had decided to bring just half a promise. But that actually he had decided from the beginning that first, rather than his son coming as a conquering king, his son would come as a prince of peace. And that's actually really good news for us. Because had he have came as the conquering king over 2,000 years ago, then he would have dealt with everything that broke peace in his world there wouldn't have been an open door. There wouldn't have been an opportunity for salvation. Thankfully for us, that's not the case, right? That's not. Thankfully for you, if you're here and you don't yet trust in Jesus, that that is not the case. That when we zoom in on Christmas, we see that first Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace. And as the Prince of Peace, he flings open the doors so that you can have peace. But he also gives a promise that one day he will bring peace completely and entirely. That one day there will just be fulfillment. No more frustration. And the thing is, Christian, as we wait for that moment, as we advent for the return of the king, our experience is going to be this bizarre mix of fulfillment and frustration. We're still going to have times where the waters are troubled. 
We still have moments where we don't feel like we're receiving the peace that we long for. But we wait. We actually anticipate with real hope and confidence that because he came the first time, because he died and rose again, and because he promised to come back, because that was promised the whole way from Abraham, and those promises were fulfilled over and over and over and over again, that he will fulfill this promise of bringing about the great shalom when he returns. You do not need to sit and wait with just a expectation. You can wait with confidence. And as you do that, as you do that, walk with God. Actually nurture the fruit of peace that he gives you through his Holy Spirit. Often the times that I'm not feeling peace are the times that I'm not walking closely with God. Amen to that. We know this, don't we? Know that the peace that we get from God in this moment, it's not that it's not real. It is. It might not be complete, but it is real. You can have it as you walk with him. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that can transcend global pandemics or some of the worst things that might happen to you. You might not always feel it, but this is the peace that Jesus brings. So keep going, keep waiting, keep drawing near, keep following, because one day your Prince of Peace, he's coming back, He's coming back and he will bring peace to the world entirely. I'm going to pray. And Father God, I just um, thank you that you bring peace through your son. Help us to really wrestle with our experience in the moment. But Lord, forgive us for the times when we do not believe that you have actually brought peace to us through your son, Jesus. Jesus.